Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Listeners, I'm Tina Horn, and you're listening to Why Are People Into That? I just got back from the International Miss Leather and International Miss Boot Black competition in San Jose, California, where I was way too fucking busy teaching queers how to dirty talk to record any podcasts. Nevertheless, Andre Shakti and I taught a three hour intensive version of our Love the Whore Year with sex worker self care and allyship class which, along with all the cigars I smoked, I hope explains the particularly husky Kathleen Turner sort of nature of my voice today. I also wore my reporter bear hat covering Imsel for Vice.com, had a little road trip up to the San Francisco Armory to teach my spanking class with Susie Q, who was a very, very good girl, and of course held court in the Doubletree outdoor hot tub whenever possible. In our continued commitment to post-modernity, episode 6, with very special guest Carol Queen, was recorded live in front of an audience at Catalyst Con East last March, which means that in exploring exhibitionism, Dr. Queen and I talked about the love of having sex in front of other people in front of other people. So, my little voyeurs, listen in to my conversation with one of my personal heroes, queer sex work writer, educator, legend in her own time, Dr. Queen, as we explore why are people into exhibitionism? Wirepeopleintothat.com, um, and you can follow it at, at into that podcast. And the hashtag for this session is hashtag SeaConY. Uh, right? I think so. Um, <laughs> no, that's right. Um, and if you want to uh, tag Carol, is it tagging? Is that what it's called? Anyway, at, if, you, at if you want to at mention. Dr. Carol Queen, what is, it, it's, it's Carol Queen, right? At Carol Queen. At Carol Queen. I am Tina Horn's ass, which is actually spelled the same way as Tina Horn sass, so whichever way you want to think of it, um, you can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can <laughs> attach that to your tweets and tweet away. Um, so, so great, so now it's 4.11, so we can get started. Um, 
and we are recording live, um, so please feel free to pretend it's a burlesque performance and uh, and cheer and say vulgar things and um, and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, unless Carol is not feeling like oh, I'm good with vulgar stuff. That's <laughs> fine. So, um, no, that's fine. Um, great. Well, so I'm Tina Horn, and I am so ecstatic to be here in Washington D.C. at Catalyst Con uh, East. Um, with my, it's really not an exaggeration for me to say that Dr. Carol Queen is a hero and a role model and dare I even say a mentor of mine. Um, and so I'm so thrilled that we can not only, uh, that I can not only have her on the show and not only just get to pick her fucking brain, um, but also to do it live. Um, so do you want to say hi, Carol? Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. It warms my heart its little cockles to know that um, I am meaningful to you in that way and right back at you, Tina Horn's ass, I gotta say, <laughs> right back at you. I remember at the Center for Sex and Culture one day when I went outside, I picked up a long thin zine that was on the piano. Remember that iteration of the center where we kept our flyers on a piano? Uh-huh. And there was your fabulous zine and I read through it and I went, who is this? <laughs> and it turned out to be you. Oh so. my god. Mutual admiration society ever since, I gotta say. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, we could spend the entire hour talking about uh, Carol and uh, her accomplishments, um, but you can read all about them by reading her books. Um, my favorite uh, book by her is The Leather Daddy and the Femme, which is technically fiction, although I kind of feel like it has uh, like a non-fiction element to it in terms of the, the theory part, not in terms of the characters yeah, per se. absolutely. But it really is like a, a highly uh, sort of social theory uh, kind of a, an essay uh, with lots of really hot sex and interesting characters and like pathos and prose and all that good stuff. <laughs> it's about sexual orientation, fluidity, family of choice in a San Francisco very much like our own except no one appears to have a job so they all get to <laughs> fuck constantly, pretty much. Except when they're talking about sexual orientation. You know. Yeah. So like you Or drinking lattes or whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, uh, that book is a huge influence on me personally and professionally. And another book of yours um, that is strict, more strictly nonfiction is Exhibitionism for the Shy, um, which is a really clever segue, see what I did there, um, to the theme that I want to talk about today. So every episode of Wired People Into That, I have a different guest. And we talk about a different theme that the, my guest is in some way an, an expert in or just likes to mouth off about. Um, so having written a book with exhibition, exhibitionism uh, in the title, I would, I would say you qualify. Um, yeah. I certainly like to mouth off about it. So if, <laughs> if I'm also an expert, that's even better. Yeah, I, 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 I would be honored. I'm waving my magic wand and making, calling you officially an All expert. right, then. Um, I'll take it. Cool. Um, so... I guess what I what I want to start off um, by asking, by way of investigating, you know, why are people into exhibitionism? Of course, the post-modernity of I hope is not lost on anyone that we are doing this in front of you. Also, you're all the voyeurs, <laughs> and we're the exhibitionists right now uh, for the moment. And I am definitely, in some ways, and we'll, we can talk about this more. Definitely identify as an exhibitionist. So I love that I'm talking about this in front of all of you. <laughs> Um, so I'm wondering, Carol, do you identify as an exhibitionist? And if so, in, in what in what way? I absolutely do identify as an exhibitionist, although now that I'm menopausal, God only knows what is going on in here right now. But, <laughs> but uh, I think 
you know, I really titled the book Exhibitionism for the Shy for a specific reason, which was I, I was a, I was a hellish shy young person, but when I had a reason to get up and give a little talk, say in class, or when I started to do queer politics or in different kinds of contexts like that, I couldn't talk to a person that I wanted to have sex with and, you know, get a word out that sounded sensible when I was a young person, but I always had an exhibitionistic streak, one space where I did feel comfortable getting attention. And the, the problem was figuring out how to, how to intersect that space into my intimate spaces. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely feel as though I'm an exhibitionist. And once I got comfortable with, um, well, first the possibility of public sex, that's where I really, really got it. I was a one orgasm at a time girl. And then I went to my first ever Jack and Jill off, which included me masturbating on the sofa with some lady talking dirty in my ear and a bunch of men in a semicircle over there masturbating while I watched me masturbate. And I came many times, switched to multiply orgasmic in that moment. Wow. And I knew that I was onto something. <laughs> Because anything that makes you multiply orgasmic for the first time, it's all, why was I so jacked up this time, mm. as opposed to any other time, and clearly exhibitionism was the reason. Not a little voyeurism, too, because those two go together very well, as yeah. you all know. Yeah, absolutely. And if I were to open my little eyes, watching people jerking off while they watch me masturbate, then I would be committing voyeurism, and I did do that <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Um, so... So it sounds like, and you know, we won't. I'm not just going to interrogate you about your exhibitionism. We can talk about more abstract things. But, okay. but, but with you as an example, um, so it sounds like masturbating in front of people was a, was a really good way to start. Um, but have you found that there are other things that you are or are not exhibitionist uh, about, like other kinds of, of sex, or you know, at the, at this point now, you know, you speak publicly all over the world. So mm -hmm. do you feel like? jerking off in front of people helped you feel comfortable speaking in front of people? Yeah, I, it was a sort of a leapfrogging situation where speaking in front of people showed me that I wasn't just completely tied into a knot uh, of shyness, helped me get to a space where I could be more exhibitionistic. I mean, I wasn't shy right till that very moment and then the, the shell cracked. There right. was, you know, a, a girlfriend who was very, very instrumental in helping me get comfortable with myself and all that. Thank you, Natalie, which is her pseudonym. She, she asked me to name her after Natalie Barnet, nice. the, great, um, the great lesbian womanizer <laughs> um, of the 1920s. And because, well, you know, if you're going to let your ex-girlfriend pick her own pseudonym, you got to take what you're going to get, don't totally. you? That's yeah, really, I mean, that's her you know, I felt like that was, was very much something that I should let her decide. And that's, where <laughs> she, that's exactly where she went. Bless her heart. Uh, and... So once I got comfortable in this play party context, of course, I immediately took it pro and went and worked at the Lusty Lady, the, mm. the great and recently shuttered, sadly recently shuttered yeah. peep show uh, in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, tears are running down our faces because it was a one-of-a-kind space, and I hope that something somewhat like that will appear somewhere else, but yeah, me too. there aren't other places scattered around just like this place. And so I got to, to work in a booth, talk to people, um, day in, day out, day in, day out, masturbate, cook up fantasies, learn to talk dirty, etc. And yeah, that space of personal sexual growth certainly helped me think 
about my own possibilities as a theorist, as a speaker, et cetera, more, with more seriousness. And that might not sound very logical to people who haven't had this sort of growth spurt around personal issues, but I feel like the, you know, what, what, did, what, are the, what did the old pagans say, as above, so below, right? <laughs> They're, those those well, things right. are connected <laughs> with one another. The, the way you can be outside and the way that you are inside, those things are not irrelevant to one another. So yeah, I think it did help. You know, I'm, I'm curious about the fact that you feel like you also grew a lot at the Lusty because, of course, the difference between going to a, a play party like the one that you were describing where everybody is, is masturbating together um, or, or even a, a play party um, or, or a dungeon or, uh, you know, an orgy where there are lots of people doing all kinds of sexy things. Um, the difference between that and the Lusty is that it was a job for you. Right. Right, and you were getting paid. And the people that you were showing off for... Um, were not, you know, were strangers or not necessarily, you know, folks that you wanted to have a relationship with or that you found attractive. Maybe you did sometimes. Sometimes, but, sure. Um, but so I'm, I'm curious uh, if you can speak to uh, what it was like to, to come into that personal growth that you're talking about um, as a sex worker. Well, I think part of it had to do with the fact that I was already in my PhD program in sexology. So, and I've written about this before. I mean, that, that gave me an open door, a license to go in there and take it seriously, mm -hmm. which of course many sex workers are not encouraged to do. Um, some are wired that way and some do, but, but that's not part of the job description. Yep. Well, we have no job description exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of fluidity, there's a lot going on in there. But yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> Partly, um, it had to do with that piece of whether I was attracted to someone um, was irrelevant to whether I was interested in what new tidbit they would bring me in terms of their fantasy world, right? Uh, so yeah. that piece was crucially interesting to me. And I, pro I mean, I, w I was a geek anyway, and I was some version of sex geek. And whether I had ever uh, gone to get a doctorate in sexology or not, or just thought, oh, God, I can't serve another plate of food in my life. I got to get a different job than this. I mean, who knows how else I would have gotten there. I got there that way. Yeah. So the, the, the path was already trodden up to that point and it led right to the door of the lusty. So I just walked in, but can you talk a little bit about what, um, the conditions of the lusty that in particular made that so welcoming for right, you? Right, right, right. Well, at that moment, so I'll, 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 some people are going to be familiar with the lusty and it's, it's history or at least some of its history. There's a documentary out there about it, of course. Live Newton Girls Unite, right? And um, so I'm going to position this in time, in historical time. <laughs> it was back when pterodactyls flew. It was in 1990, so it was 23 years ago from the time that we're sitting here, and um, it was a moment when 1990 in San Francisco, right? That was the 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 city had been consumed by the HIV epidemic. Yeah. A lot of sex spaces had been shut down. There was still a lot of denial about heterosexual HIV, but there was also still a substantial amount of paranoia and concern. Sex workers often were concerned. Clients were concerned. The Lusty Lady was a space where all of the work was done behind glass. So it's sort of a, a perfect starter space for exploring exhibitionism, um, uh, professional exhibitionism, sex work of any kind, yeah. because you don't have to navigate the who's going to touch and do what, who's, when, do you, when do you say no, when you say yes, the, the, the ask permission, uh, give permission, all of that stuff. 
I mean, there still is that because you get to de determine what you're going to talk about. You get to determine whether or not you're going to do any kind of masturbation antics that are extra and negotiate the tip and say, or say, no, I don't do that or this and that or say, yes, you can put that up your ass. But <laughs> because, of course, where do the exhibitionists go who don't have voyeurs? Right. A plenty of them came to put on shows for us. Right. Yeah, you just kind of a rad thing. Yeah, you took the words right out of my wow. mouth. I was like, yeah, no, there's there's exhibitionists and voyeurs on, on both sides of the glass. And and that can be a little bit difficult to to navigate, I'm sure. I'm sure that some people were who were exhibitionists were definitely sort of crossing boundaries and coming coming in and, and putting on a show like within the booth like under a false pretense where it's kind of like that's you know, when when you're when you're dancing you're not necessarily signing up to have somebody put on a show for you. More of the talk booth, more in the talk booth, I think, was mm -hmm. that a, um, a sort of expected piece. But it did happen on the dance floor, too. So for people who who uh, need the explanation of what the, how the lusty was configured, there was a row of, sort of an L-shaped row of booths with movies. At the end of the, sort of the, the, the elbow of the L, there was a window where you could see usually one woman at a time, occasionally two, occasionally it was a two-for-one situation, or at least a two-for. And that was awesome because people could entertain each other regardless of whether our client was entertaining. And, of course, you know, I already said, I always thought they were entertaining, at least to some degree. And then there was the um, dance floor, which was, what, is mm, three, four times bigger than the stage that we're on right now. Not large, but yeah. enough room for maybe eight women to dance around a wall of mirrors, um, Laterally, there was a stripper pole or two on there so that you could do your moves, but in my day, we didn't have that. That was fancy. And um, uh, windows all the way around with um, grab bars, like a, a shower, so we could grab and stick our leg all the way up in the air if it would go there, uh, show pink or you know, grab them, turn around, show our ass, show our ass crack, etc. You'll notice that I'm using exhibitionistic language here because you don't have a camera on me, so I think I'll just do a little of that. That's great, please, yes. I hope that's consensual, you guys. <laughs> I forgot to ask. The audience is doing a different show, yeah. Bad I am. I used to be so good about these things. So fuck it. Fuck so it there down. so there they would be, uh, you know, and, and the and the guys would trot in and oftentimes if they they'd get this certain gleam in their eye before they started to unzip their pants and sometimes that meant that there would be a garter belt and hose underneath mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or panties or whatever and sometimes they would have a briefcase and it would be oh look a businessman and then he'd open the briefcase and it would be like oh no that would be the dildo collection or right. whatever it might have been right one man that i think we all uh, had special feelings about would do a yoga pose stick a candle taper candle in his ass and light it did you witness that? That's not like an I did. urban no, legend. No, 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 no. I witnessed it with my own eyes. Wow. And I stopped dancing when it happened because, as I said, I was both a sexologist and a bit of a voyeur. And I just went and stared at him for a while. A candle does not have a flared face. No, I no, no. It's, no it's, <laughs> and the end's on fire. It's not actually a safe Fire sex. is not a flared face. No. no. I mean, you do know when it's coming close to your anus, though, I would imagine. I've never True. actually tried that myself. True. But I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure, yeah. It's probably too late to grab it and keep it from going all the way inside. Yeah, it's just going to... Yeah, ooh, I'm just... But we were all kind of amazed and awed. a lot of puckered assholes in this room right now. Very puckered. It's like, clench, everyone clench, just in memory of that guy. And just... 
so, I don't okay, even so, want to go any further than that. But so some, sometimes, so sometimes the people. Oh, okay, so what you were talking about before, and I'm glad we're talking about um, the lusty because it actually is, I think, a really sort of great lab to talk about yeah. uh, exhibition of exhibitionism. And um, so you were saying before that sometimes people came in to be exhibitionists in the in the private room, right? And you have a little bit more chance to have a negotiation and for you know the client to or, you know and for them to have clients. Clients, customers, customers, yeah. yeah. So you know, uh, did, you know, hey, I re I would really like to like do such and such a thing. I'd like you two to kiss each other, blah blah blah. But then sometimes people come into the individual booths where there's the stage with like more like four to eight people dancing, um, and yeah, and whip out the you know start sticking candles in their asses and 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 such. So it seems like sometimes it would be like, wow, this is real. I've never seen that before. That's cool. And sometimes it would probably be like. Please stop whatever you're doing. No, don't do that. Oh God. See, it was never that way for me because I was always I was always like, What will they think of next? Right. I was I was the one that that pretty much was interested in it all. Not right. necessarily erotically interested, right? Sure. That wasn't necessarily the, the the zone that I would enter. If somebody went into a show off space, I could usually ride the energy that they emanated being excited to be showing it off. Right. But I felt like there were two things going on there. Or sort of what you're asking about about the lack of negotiation or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or just 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 pulling it out. I mean, that's not a very consensual thing, right? And one of the right. things that exhibitionism is controversial around or sometimes illegal around or sometimes considered a maybe a mental problem around mm -hmm. is the question of consent, mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. flasher. The, when we think of exhibitionist in the outside world, we often just think of flasher. Right, absolutely. And that's not um, how I understand it, but I do totally acknowledge the role of consent in that situation. So then there's the sex work client theory or knowledge base. Like the person goes in and he goes, am I allowed to just do anything in here sexually? It's a sex place. Of course I must be. Whoa! <laughs> right. And then right. everybody has to try to clean up the room afterwards or stop him or what have you. Right. Boundless. Like like pick up a phone and call the front desk. You know, people think that it must be so terrible and awful to be staring at masturbating people all day long for a job. Well, not everybody thinks that. But, <laughs> but just imagine the person who is the person that that person calls up when they're like, um, yo, he made a really big mess in here. Please come in with the mop right now. Oh my god, no. So, so props to the, props to the front desk guys. That's what oh, I want to yeah. say about that. Yeah. And then there's the question of, is he so excited about, I'm saying he, and, and once in a while it would be a she, but mostly it was a he in this context. I thought, yeah, I was So about excited about the exhibitionism piece, what he's about to do, what he's been carrying around all morning in his briefcase. That's foreplay, or man. For a, or his pants, right. right? That's that's foreplay for an exhibitionist. I've got this candle with me and I'm going to light it. Totally. That, <laughs> that, that, he just gets all, woo, I forgot that I had to get permission before I put the candle in my ass and lighted it. So then there was me going, fascinating. <laughs> and there were people who were there who were all, ew, what? And and the gamut, of course, because not every sex worker, not every peep show performer, uh, not every exotic dancer stripper is an exhibitionist. Some are, some aren't. 
Right. Some are doing their job. Some are just working and maybe paying the rent. Or they're just not in the mood that day. Or the person comes in and rubs them the wrong way in some way, or they didn't ask permission, and it's all, you have to ask permission first. Yeah. And that's where our boundary might be. And so I was virtually always interested, but that didn't mean that that needed to be the norm. Yeah. Right? I was a geek. I was not the norm, necessarily. I was like the... I should be making this into my dissertation. Why didn't I do that? I, you know, I mean, uh, this is so interesting because I just keep thinking about the privilege that I have as a as a lady person going into the lusty booths, the like audience booths, and fucking, you know, other lady people, and having all of the the dancers be like, ooh. We used to call yeah. it entertaining the troops. Yeah, yeah. We, I've definitely entertained the troops at the Lusty uh, on a couple of occasions. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, it was an exhibitionist thing to do. And, and you know, I, I can say that I did it because, you know, I was like out in North Beach and, at, you know, drinking at Vesuvio's. And I was like, let's go fuck at the Lusty, you know. But, like you do. <laughs> like you do. But I, could, I think I can also claim a little bit of, well, you know, being, I was, you know, was a sex worker at the time and, and yeah. um and you know, and being queer, and, and knowing people who work there, and, and knowing the history, and kind of feeling like I I think that there is, I can count on some kind of implied consent um, going on here. Plus, I'm going to put on a good show, right? Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm lucky in that regard, and I think that there are lots of other people who are exhibitionists who would think to go to the Lusty specifically because of the the experience of seeing shock or surprise or wonder or interest mm-hmm. on the face of a beautiful naked girl um, is like, that's how they, they get their kicks. But the, the question really is one of consent because mm-hmm. technically I was not asking or I was not you know negotiating with any of those dancers whether or not they felt like being a part of my sex life that day and neither are you know were any right. of the people who, who right. came in there. Of course, you know, some people came in there and like quietly watched or quietly masturbated and, and left, mm-hmm. right? And actually mm-hmm. didn't want any attention to be drawn to them at all. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's also a way in which the, the you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lucky person who gets a comprehensive education about consent all at one time. Most people get it in dribs and drabs, if at all. Plenty of people have not gotten this lecture ever anywhere. Right in in a sex work context, in a BDSM dungeon context, or a sex party context, or on the subway. So you know we know there's plenty of people who have consent fails on a day to day basis, and I think I think at least those exhibitionistic customers thought that they were coming into a space of appropriateness. I mm. had one guy who was on probation for having been a flasher in the park (laughs) literally and it was so ironic because he was coming to a much more appropriate space right to to do his flashy thing i mean he didn't he didn't look any different or act any different once he was in the booth than any other guy who whipped it out and started to masturbate not at all you couldn't have told him the the criminal um, exhibitionist from the the garden variety hobbyist exhibitionist (laughs) under any circumstances except that he disclosed this to me and the irony was that he could have been probably thrown back in jail for breaking his probation for coming in and taking his penis out even though I was happy to see his penis right sad it's really kind of sad it is it is it is sad and he knew not to go out and do that again in the park he'd learned that yeah you know so it's so our justice system is so just really so effective 
Um, and flummoxed by sex. Podcast. So flummoxed by sex a lot. It's, oh, so. I, yeah. That's I can't. I don't even know how to go there. Um, yeah. uh, but well, let me let me ask. Let me pivot and and ask. Um, I want to talk about some some other myths about mm-hmm. exhibitionism. So um, so there's you know there's exploring your exhibitionism uh, through sex work, which both you and I certainly have done, and I don't think we're alone. Um, perhaps not even at this conference. <laughs> um, and um, but you know, so maybe somebody wants to explore their their exhibitionism, um, and they they don't want to do it for work, and that's fine. Um, so what are some what are I, I want to talk about some places and ways that people can explore exhibitionism uh, consensually, and I also want to talk about the the myth that if you identify as an exhibitionist, and even if you've realized that that's your your fetish and your kink and what makes you have multiple orgasms and really turns you on the most that you can just go to any sexual space whether it's a commercial sexual space or a or a, you know or a date or a or a dungeon or a, or a play party and then just start doing whatever you want because it's your fetish and you're an exhibitionist and so everybody now has to watch you the end on you know so so what so so can we talk can we talk to that person can we talk to that person who just who just feels entitled you know, so how can we kind of, I guess, here's what I'm getting at. How can we navigate, like, not yucking people's yum and, like, yeah. encouraging people to explore their exhibitionism and, and, and sort of parse out how to do it in a way that is not abusive to other people? Because ultimately right. that's not going to give them the satisfaction that they want anyway because people are just going to be like, no. Generally, it's not going to give them the satisfaction. I mean, I, we, we have a special case of the exhibitionist person who actually does want to get shut down. Like, that's the fun part, ultimately. It's, so, it's a sort of a, 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 a topping from the bottom, almost BDSM humiliation trip in that kind of I context. I absolutely agree that's, with you. I mean, I think that harassing people on the street is what you're, is what you're describing. We can maybe yeah, talk about there's that. A, yeah, there's a variant. There, there definitely is a variant where the person goes out kind of really expecting that, that they're going to get. Um, a certain kind of attention that isn't just the, oh my God, is that guy could they a penis? Or you know, or, <laughs> or as, you're so naughty. As they yeah. used to teach us uh, in the old days, you're supposed to say to that, yes, by God, it looks like a penis, only smaller. But I don't <laughs> think that's the right thing to do anymore. Oh, it's kind of funny. But okay, so I'm going to come from the most compassionate place I can Great. Um, with this person, and then I'm going to going to come from. The, the other side of direction Please. a little bit. I want to say, for some people, the 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 desire to do their fetishistic activity, whatever that might be, mm. showing off or whatever it is, has been building up and building up and building up and building up. And finally, there's an opportunity. Finally, they pop. Finally, they realize that there's a a venue. You know, they get drunk and their inhibitions are lowered. Whatever it might be. Mm. And I want to respect the desire. Yeah, right. I want to respect the kink. Yeah. Um, I want also to say, let's find a way to do your kink in a consensual framework, which is why then it becomes such a problem for people to move into their kink spaces before they get any support around consent and any thoughts. I mean, there's a lot of our culture that seems to ignore consent, and we I talk about it too. a lot in yeah. our in our world, and there's much more dis- discourse about it, even though it isn't always perfect everywhere. Lord knows, Robert and I are doing a some a consent rant tomorrow morning. But, yeah, I can't wait for that. But uh, but I also really really want to make sure people understand everybody, whatever you kink. 
unless your kink is non-consent, in which case I can't really help you. Although some people will fantasize non-consent with you. Yeah, I was going to say, if consensual is, non-consent... It's consensual non-consent, that's great. That's but great, actual but... Actual non-consent fantasy, that's... Yeah. But consensual non-consent is a pretty sophisticated thing to work out. It's, it's not yeah. It's not the first thing. If, if, if non-consent is, in fact, a charge, it's not easy to start there and negotiate it. That's a thing that you do after you learn a bunch more stuff about negotiation and about getting with people and all that stuff. So, so I, I just what what separates the person who comes into a place like the Lusty Lady or a place like a a sex party or a dungeon or a, a putatively correct space for exhibitionism from the person on the streetcar, the person in the park is they have figured out that there might be a more appropriate place. Good, good, good. <laughs> Excellent. Think about appropriateness. Good. And then did they make sure that they really were in the right place? Right. Could, did they talk to, talk about people? Did they ask at the front door? Did they, you know, did they get a sense of the, the folkways of that particular space? Because you mean of course, they're not all the same? They're not all yeah, exactly the same? Yeah, funny thing, isn't it? I don't know. It's, it's part of how do we I mean, this is going to sound so unsexy, but it's part of how do we, how do we convey for people in a sexual pluralistic culture just some good manners, just some just some practices that will keep everybody feeling happy and happy to be where they are in a sexy space. Because the the, the risk you run going into a world of non-consent is eventually breaking your toy. For the exhibitionist, it's breaking your entire audience. <laughs> like overwhelming them with, I don't really want to be in this room right now because of the way that this is going down. So, to, I mean, to be fair, you can have that same kind of experience as a waitress in a restaurant with no, you know, with toast and no penises or anything. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the 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 social it looks skills exactly like a piece of toast, only smaller. Only yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some restaurants are gluten free. Right? No. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> that kind of a situation is a social skills challenge. Like that's 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 up to to us in our communities to welcome new people into our communities with some information about how do we all play nicely together in our space. This is how we do it here, this is how we do it there. Just because somebody is getting paid to go to their job doesn't necessarily mean this. Right. But it might mean that you could negotiate that. Sure. And if if we had more sophisticated conversation about these kinds of things on a regular basis, starting, oh, at least in sex ed, at least, mm. which, of course, is not about making people ready to have happy, healthy, and, and uh, sort of emotionally integrated adult sex lives, sadly. You'd no. think that's what it would be about, but, of course, it's no, not. No, it's not. It's about fear. So then we have to, then we do it via podcast. Thank goodness for yes. the... Thank goodness for the podcast revolution, because we are now able, at least, to start to communicate about these things in a more sophisticated way. Yeah. And more and more people will go, oh, now I have a clue. I'm so glad that I have this factoid that will help me have a funner time when I go to the dungeon or the sex party or whatever I manage to get in on or invited to or whatever. So I want to talk about uh, something else. I, I feel like we uh, have kind of taken this idea of the, the stereotype of the um, masturbating uh you know, guy in the trench coat in the park, 
and like put him in a dungeon space, like still with the trench coat, being like, this is my fetish. My fetish is wearing trench coats and, and exposing myself and making that face that people, you know, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, but, but actually you can be an exhibitionist about uh, a lot of things, right? Uh, yeah. And, and so, and you can also be an unconsensual exhibitionist about a lot of things. So like, for example, like you might have some kind of, you know, dirty talk or, or role or dynamic with your partner or your date you know, and, and it's totally consensual to say those things, um, you know, like, let's say, like, Master Slave, that was my most recent um, episode, so, like, you, you say, you call, you know, like, I call you Master, you call me Slave, like, you know, when, when nobody's looking, and then it, we, like, decide that it would be really fun to go shopping, and for, you know, m me to call you Master, and you to call me Slave while we're, like, picking out shoes, and, like, if you are, like, whispering it in my ear, like, that's one thing, and that could be really great. But if you're parading around, you know, the fancy shoe store being like, Slave, come bring me these those stilettos that I want. Then all of a sudden, you we're unconsensually involving everybody in the store in, in, our, in our fantasy. And I, I, I you know, I, I don't think that that is very polite either. Although I would love to do that with you sometime now that I've just invented this scenario. If you ever want to go shoe shopping and whisper in my ear, that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> we'll talk. And, you know, and, and there are some venues where it would be easier to negotiate that than others. Right. You know, there are places like foot worship in San Francisco or the totally. likelihood that if you went up to the person at the counter at the beginning of the experience and said, hey, we've got this scene we'd like to play here. Are you are you good with us doing it? Yeah. Like, then you would get a, oftentimes, a staff member of the store who would go, oh, yes, nothing has I happened was, all day. I was so really bored. bored and now yeah. you're coming in to do that. Hell yeah, let's yeah. do it. But you, but you, I mean, so that's true. Like Mr. S or something like that. Like that might be a place where you're more likely to find somebody who's willing to at least play along. But very but you frequently. Just, but you just and you just don't you just don't want to make any assumptions about what that person is in the mood for, especially if, if you're getting paid like three hundred dollars an hour and they're you know mm -hmm. making ten dollars an hour. Good Vibrations was a place uh, when I was on the floor there on a regular basis. I, I still work there, of course, but when I was working there on the floor for the eight years that I did, it was not very unusual to have um, either lovers come in, partners, or um, doms and clients come in and start going into their zone. Yeah. And maybe the staff member of a sex toy store is familiar with that zone and maybe even thinks that zone is a cool zone and might even do it on their own time <laughs> but it's also really true that that place in particular was meant originally to ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Be a safe space where the most nervous grandma who'd never had an orgasm could come in and buy her first vibrator at the age of 69. Yeah. So let's, you know, the, the, whole, the whole notion of don't frighten horses 
can sound really repressive or it can sound um, like a satisfactory way to build a community where we don't freak each other out and unleash, you know, like waves of freak out sex negativity because someone has been um, button pushed or triggered, depending on how old you are. Those two words <laughs> kind of mean the same thing, but it used to be used to be we pushed buttons and now it's so much more militaristic, this, this triggered, <laughs> triggered language. So what I also want to say is that um, the, the idea of getting people from outside to get a, 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 a glimpse into your sexual world to help them understand better how diverse the sexual world is, I mean, I think that's a cool thing to want. We would like people to understand that the world is sexually diverse. We would like a little more um, space for diversity of interest and desire and fetish and all of that. And that's the Frighten the Horses paradox. You freak people out enough on the airplane and, I mean, on the airplane, you can't even wear a damn shirt with a sex thing on it. They'll ask you to turn it inside out these days. Like, what is the world coming to? So the, 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 the public-private divide, I feel like it's really problematic um, for exhibitionists in particular, but, but because, because that's the, maybe the, 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 where we want to play, like the yeah. line, that charges us up. It might be that line. But I also think that you can't always assume who's going to be around you. It could be a better experience than you thought it would be, or it could be a far worse one. Robert and I long ago were playing a really dirty scene, just just something like the kind that you're talking about. I don't think Master and Slave language was involved, but it was really dirty. It involved some really dirty things. And you can be specific, but, you know, if you don't be. I could probably be specific, couldn't I? Although I just said I worked at Good Vibrations. I'm going to be semi-specific. Got it. I was uh, sent into the restroom with a task mm. to perform. Mm. Did the task, came back and announced that I had done the task. We both got really, really, really turned on about that. And uh, we had a great time. We were whispering so and then the people at the table over the, all the way over there turned out to be deaf. They had read our lips the entire time, and we got up to leave, and they applauded us. And I'm like, well, thank God for San Francisco sex-positive deaf people, because I didn't mean to do that to the people over there. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's such a good story. But it was informative. At best. I mean, right? Isn't that informative? When, when do you know? Well, it's, part of the, it's part of the thrill of exhibitionism. Because there's, there's certain kinds of controlled exhibitionism, uh, even at a place like the Lusty. And then, and then part of, of the, the thrill is the danger and the and and the chaos right right when you when you have these other elements of these other people who may be strangers or you don't know how they're going to react that you know you don't know if they're fucking deaf then then you know that that brings a little bit of of the danger maybe not quite as absurd as that but and i feel like there's you know there's so many variants of this that we've heard a lot about when people are into exhibitionism they um they dress in particular ways frequently. I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of sexualizing our outward appearance, whether or not we're having any sex mm. um, frequently. It, doesn't, it isn't always super sexualized. It might only be sexualized to somebody who knows 
what they're looking at. It may feel sexualized if you're really shy and you run around without panties. You don't have to you don't have to have an upskirt experience on the T in Boston to mm. know that you're running around exposed in a particular way that you're not usually and that can be super exciting and that can be a really safe way to play what feels publicly extreme if you're pretty shy and reserved. That's actually a really good suggestion, I think. And, you know, I always try in on the podcast to talk about really concrete things to try for people who are, who are, you know, their little ears are pricking up. They're like, perhaps I am an exhibitionist. What can I do? And I think that, and I love that one because it's a solo thing, right? To, to like run around without panties. You're not unconsensually involving anybody. Not at um, all. It's 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 your little secret and nobody knows. And you can like get a huge thrill out of that. Or you can play it with somebody where then that is, as you were saying before, it can be foreplay, right? Like you're not allowed to wear panties on your way to the date. And when yeah. you get to the date. Or you can get to the date and you can whisper in their ear as you're being seated for, for at the restaurant, I'm not wearing any panties. And, uh, you know, that is so time-honored. Yeah. You know, if lots of people didn't do that on Valentine's Day, I just want to... You know, there's a reason these things are classic. They yeah, they're really classics. Yeah, you could add work. it to Steak and a Blowjob Day. <laughs> Let is the there podcast... a no panties day? Officially? Or should we start? Maybe we ought to start that. But, but, March, but, but March 15th? From but let the no podcast... But let the podcast listeners um, be advised that I just rolled my eyes like crazy when I was talking about, you know, adding adding new stuff to Steak and a Blowjob Day. Because it's true that, well, the the, the, the holidays just keep on coming. Yeah, they, they will know. They, they really do. do. They really do. So I think that there's a way in which um, the, these little incremental exhibitionism baby steps, stepping stones, are um, a way for somebody to test do they get a thrill from this? Yeah. Like, you don't have to masturbate with the with the drapes open. That might be a bad idea, depending on where you live. But what if you fantasize that you were doing that while you're masturbating? Or just right. leave the lights on tonight when you usually don't. Or little things. Like, uh, I suggest an exhibitionism for the shy, because talking dirty is, I sort of lump it mm -hmm. in as a kind of exhibitionism auditory, clearly, but but something that puts your own sexuality out there further, which is one of my kind of working definitions of what exhibition is, exhibitionism is. Oh, that's really interesting. With a, with a, with a turn-on factor associated with it, yeah. right? You can, you can do that for a job and <laughs> have it be like dry panty day all day long, and, and, but, but be good at it, be quite good at it. Or you can go, I'm saying nasty words out loud while I'm masturbating, oh my God, I'm having a bigger orgasm than I've ever had. And, and it really, I mean, the, oh, the shyness really, to boldness continuum is, is quite large. Isn't that beautiful? I actually, that's one of the things that I suggest in my Dirty Talk classes is for people to talk out yes. loud when they masturbate. But really, I've actually never thought about it in this way before. Now that we're having this conversation, you're really kind of being the exhibitionist and the voyeur at the same time when yeah, you do that. Yeah. You're really putting on a show for yourself. Yeah. I mean, you could also put on a visual show for yourself by masturbating in front of the mirror. mirror. Right? Yeah, mirrors are great. That's consensual when it's you watching. And it also gives you a little bit of a sense. I mean, not that this is, not that you rehearse this. You don't rehearse this. If you're a burlesque performer, maybe you do. But, but if there's a sense of, I mean, what's shyness? It's it's a version of I'm not I'm not whatever enough to do that mm -hmm. thing, right? Like, ooh, but 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 I'm too. Oh. Um, 
I'm not good enough, I'm not sexy enough, I'm not whatever, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not bold enough. There's lots of different ways that you could fill that in. And if you are fortunate enough to watch yourself in a mirror putting on a show that you go, well, what would the person see who was watching me if I ever had the nerve to do this? If you are fortunate enough to be enough of an exhibitionist that you see the spark in your own eyes, yeah. that can jump you right over the fence. You're like, everybody like, should see this show. Because it's like... This show is great. Well, not only that, but, you know, I mean... I feel like this is this is sometimes said as a as sort of an unproblematized fact, and I don't want to do that this time. But I'm going to say that some women don't get enough information about sexuality and the sexual response cycle and their own response and et cetera, even know when they're turned on. That's, that's like one of the editorial things that Joni Blank told me to do when I was writing Exhibitionism for the Shy. Explain to the women readers what being turned on feels like physiologically, looks like physiologically. Awesome. And when I say I don't want to problem it, uh, uh, say that in a non-problematic way, I also want to say that it's one thing to say, well, men always know when they're turned on because their penis stands up. It's like, I don't think it's that simple, no. frankly. I think there's a lot more complexity to male sexuality. Having worked in The Lusty Lady, I'm sure there's a lot more complexity to male sexuality. I yeah. saw quite a rainbow of it at the time. So I want to give that space to men as well. I mean, I think there are men who are ejaculating and not orgasming. I saw some of them there too. They didn't, their, their breathing didn't change. It happened really fast. They were just like no physiological involvement except in ejaculation. I wonder if they were... I wonder if their Kegel muscles were pulsing and giving them great pleasure. I wonder. I, I hope so, but I doubt it in many cases. So I don't. I don't want to be this. Women are all, and men are all, and you know, and 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 and, and be bigendered about it and all of that stuff. I don't think that's the way we really live no, in the world. No, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm. No, no, no. But, I, it's, but it started like I was starting to make it sound as though I felt as though that was the situation. But but you know, Joni's point is well taken. That if somebody has had. Um, like no permission to explore sexually and then you start to explore sexually where do you even know where you're starting right yeah i mean hopefully people will you know take one little thing out of each of your podcasts and say oh, i'm gonna give that a shot maybe that's the that's me my fetish that's you my don't problem. always know until you get there yeah absolutely well i want to draw a line between something that you were saying earlier about privacy and even and even manners and, and and what you've kind of started to talk about with, with female sexuality, because I really think that there is, and I've experienced this, uh, an, an inherent misogyny to um, the way that, uh, that society in general um, judges people for enjoying being looked at and, and enjoying looking good and enjoying feeling good. I know that I definitely uh, grew up being really worried about showing anybody that I that I wanted to look good right. because that would make me vain, right? Which is this right. very like in, for me it was definitely like a lot of internalized misogyny. Um, and and later on that I I was uh, I was shy to like sh to show pleasure because you know it was like no don't you know. And and I'm you know I'm I'm me I like have a lot of confidence and a big personality and like I experience that so I think I think that a lot of other people do as well and you know so I think that there 
is so you know so even somebody you know there's this idea of asking for it right you know the the judgment of asking for it that um that women who you know who look good are vain and begging for attention and that they deserve what happens to them Mm -hmm. as a result Mm -hmm. um and shallow and unfeminist yes right and there's there's not just misogyny in there. There's femphobia, specifically yes. femphobia, and I want to I want to call that out. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know I I experienced, and this just made this hotter for me. So it was all good in retrospect. But I experienced <laughs> feminist shame around the notion that I was beginning to to take on a more femme persona and buy more frilly shit and put it on and you know you were brainwashed by the patriarchy I was I was totally brainwashed by the patriarchy man and the fact (laughs) that I had run around for you know 15 years before that wearing you know Cub Scout shirts and flannel meant nothing because once I stepped into high-heeled shoes it meant that I had assumed false consciousness and I just want to say I want I don't want us to stop um reminding young women and women of every age and femme-identified people of any stripe ilk space that you don't have to look like that to be accepted and to be sexy and etc you know you don't have to be you don't have to fit the mold because there's a whole version of this around that 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 people would never um that would never come down on um Slim and relatively heteronormative looking people, but as soon as you get a fat femme in the room, fuck that shit. Then you get then then she hears all of it, right? right. So that that piece, which is you know, it basically if you will harsh on any of us, you will harsh on all of us. That's what I feel, and I don't think it. I don't take it kindly. I don't think it's appropriate, and I'm also pretty sure. Oh, thank you. And I'm also pretty sure that. Um, it's one of the things that stops us in our pleasure tracks. And I also want to make sure that it's known to everybody who doesn't fit this sexy, slinky, femme, whatever it is thing, that the pleasures of exhibitionism could be for you as well. But whatever that means to you, whatever dressing sexy means to you, you may be like, they, I may get noticed on the subway and somebody wearing... Uh, a sleeveless t-shirt and a very well-fitting pair of jeans and some hot clunky boots whatever their gender presentation in other ways may not get a second look necessarily but each of us might be having the same kind of frisson of I'm dressed sexy today Mm. I'm feeling sexy in this I'm showing it off that isn't specific to our gender presentation because I feel like it's it's one thing to over-sexualize gender presentation and it's another thing to under-sexualize it and not give it sexual space. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to suggest to anybody that I think that's okay. But, but everybody's got their own space where they feel hot, yeah. which may be the space out of which you launch your exhibitionistic career. That's the shortest point between, or shortest distance between two points, right? Yeah. You know, um, I've definitely noticed... Uh, I've noticed it more living in New York City um, than I have anywhere else, um, and I, you know, it's not the first urban place that I've lived, but um, I've noticed that it doesn't matter when I'm walking around on the street. It doesn't matter how much skin I'm showing or how tight my clothes are. Um, 
how much uh, I get harassed and the degree to which I get harassed and not just like, hey, beautiful, but like real abusive shit yeah. has to do with how femme my presentation is. So if it's a, if it's a day, it's like, that, like once a month that I'm, like, that I'm wearing lipstick or I'm wearing heels or I'm wearing a skirt, um, I could even be more technically like more covered up but having a femme presentation, uh, you know, people are, m are much more abusive to me. And I find it really fascinating. You know, it's like, I'm like, yesterday I was wearing, like, short shorts, like, up to my, you know, my ass crack at, and boots. <laughs> and they were like, I was, like, invisible. You know, it's, it's so, it's really, it's strange to me. But, you know, the, but, and the other part of that is, is that sometimes I like to be invisible, but... I think that, you know, it, it really, I have this, like, uh, moments of feeling so much solidarity for, for folks who identify as, like, more more completely or more often as femme than I do, um, who have to deal with that bullshit all the time. That is bullshit. <laughs> and not only is it bullshit, when you get right down to it, many people think that's how they have to represent all the time, that they're not acceptable if they don't. It's not about an exhibitionistic frisson. I mean, maybe maybe they have that. Often they just don't. But that's got to be the way the present, the acceptable presentation is. And then when you get all tarted up like that, and I'm using that word that word on purpose, then love tarts. You get, you know, you get whore shamed. You get slut shamed. You get you get targeted. You get, it's like look culture. <laughs> You can't have it both ways, sucker. Pick one. Right. Say, Actually, everybody, looks, everybody looks foxy the way they are. That'd be nice. That'd be great. Or just stop making people feel unsafe so that they can grow into whatever it is allows them to feel sexy. You want everybody to run around being sexy? Well, don't be shitty when they do. I'm just saying. <laughs> That was a little Bless anti. You, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, uh, Tina. Don't, don't apologize when you're in my hot seat, especially <laughs> not about ranting. Um, so, okay, we have a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. um, all of this stuff is so amazing, and we could talk about all of it forever. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about how social media complicates exhibitionism because the way that. <laughs> the look on your face. Well, um, it, it's a big topic, um, but you know, I think that some people um, use social media to show off, in, and in some ways, it's another degree of the safety that we're. You know, it, social media is like the plexiglass at the lusty yeah. lady, right? It, yeah. it creates like a little bit of 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 safety to, and it, you know, it makes people feel like they can be bold at the same time they're hiding behind a plexiglass. So what can you talk a little bit about, you know, th that that paradox and well, two things. I mean, in the first place, I think that there, there there's pre-internet exhibitionism and post-internet exhibitionism. Mm -hmm. And there are there are relationships between the two, the pterodactyl time and the, you know, the modern age and all of that, but but there's a really different element as well, and that it, which is re relative to the social network question, I think. That is, I now don't have to find an exhibitionism partner uh, in my area code, in my town, in my country. I don't 
I can I can I can be a non um, masturbatory and, and solo exhibitionist. I can be an exhibitionist with someone, and I can do it via technology, so that I don't have to um, go out and risk finding somebody who might reject me for my exhibitionistic tendencies or what have you. You can kind of you can sift and sort, and there are ways that people who who learn how to use the web and and its many media and meeting variants in a savvy way can find partners that they never even are in the same room with and yet they've all seen each other's parts and stuff thanks to the miracle of the dashboard cam on our computers or our you know cell phones that have that little gizmo built into it and all that so in the old days there was only one way you could do this you could get a polaroid and you could find somebody's address in another town. You could mail off the Polaroid, right? That sounds like the Dark Ages, doesn't it, you guys? <laughs> Although, hella cute. There's kind of a, again, there's kind of a foreplay association with that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to the mailbox. You know, that was hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you have to fucking wait, right? So, you know, the foreplay lasts for, you know, however long, like, USPS lasts. I know, so till the, like, the postal like, character comes like, like, turned on when you that Polaroid for, like, a week. Yeah, it's a yeah, lot yeah. of mileage. No, there, was, there was something to be there was something to be said for the for the Polaroid era, and you can get. I mean, you could do that now. It would be retro, but you could do it now because expensive. Polaroids are back and expensive. Because Polaroids are back, but expensive. So the 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 technology allows for us to have a different relationship to exhibitionism. And you're right; it is just like the plexiglass because we can be all alone in our little studio apartment wherever we are and figure out where the light is best in there and just or not or not you know <laughs> and 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 just like the way chat roulette was used mm. right people know about chat roulette and you're supposed to randomly be paired with someone from all around the world you have a little conversation with them and world peace will ensue and instead everybody apparently it was dick Got shot, dick shot, dick shot, dick shot, yeah. and people who didn't have dicks also dick shot, right? I mean, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that said to me, well, consent fail, kind of, but also that said to me, there really are a lot of people who think exhibitionism is a is a hot thing to experience. Like, like when we would go get the mail at Good Vibrations back in the day, this doesn't happen as much anymore because people don't send things through the mail in the same way that they used to again, but this is a catalog request. Let's open it up. Oh, no, it's a random picture of a penis. <laughs> <laughs> so you can actually even do non-consensual exhibitionism with no connection with another person. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the the social networking piece um, brings up a standard of expectation by which it becomes there's 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 obviously spaces on the internet where exhibitionism is much more allowed and and facilitated in, than in other places but even on twitter and facebook and wherever and whatever they're using now the kids <laughs> there's always this opportunity to share these images and they turn they turn sexual so quickly because why wouldn't they? Sex is is interesting and 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 compelling, and it's and especially if somebody is, is sort of in a space of sexual exploration, it's what's most interesting. And they're well, right they're, now. And if they're and if they're shy, I feel like there are a lot of folks who are willing to be more bold, but from behind the screen and 
for, for many reasons. But of course, we forget that people are getting fired because they went to Cabo and lifted up their shirt and went woo, even if they had the best time doing it. You know, that, that, that there's, it's, it seems to me like sort of as an oldster who came in, like, like the pterodactyl age was part of my life for a long time before the internet was a thing. And it seems to me like a lot of times people think of their, their gizmo, their cell phone or their laptop or their whatever, as their little locking diary. And except it's magic because when you open it to a special page, you can see another person yeah. through the window. It's like a fairy tale. It's like a Disney princess thing. And then you can <laughs> then you can show them your tits. But <laughs> but it's not magic that way. It's magic a different way. Right. Which means that um, the evil stepmother can see what you did. Or whatever, whoever. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, the 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 you know, lifting up the tits in in Cabo example is is really interesting because there there are you know there are people being fired or shut out of jobs or shut out of families or mm. shut out of relationships um, for uh, for for being paid to flash their tits and and then there are people being shut out of jobs or, or not hired for jobs because there is. You know, such a, a picture is on Facebook or on Tumblr, um, and you know that kind of pervasive slut shaming just really seems it, the 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 self delusion that is required for that to be maintained, it to be to continue to be institutionalized, boggles my mind because clearly some people, people who have free will, want to go do that and move on with their lives, and it doesn't make them an immoral person, it doesn't make them bad at their job and in some contexts is practically normative so right. yeah it's it's a it's a strange i mean it just it just goes to show that the culture retains a great deal of confusion to put it as you know politely as we possibly could about this question of sexuality i mean it is a slut shamey culture it is a culture that that wants to look and then it wants to shame there, there's an element, I think, also of, of demureness to it as well, where um, I don't mean to, to paint the, like, girls gone wild girl as, like, the most liberated, you know, sluts out there, but, um, you know, the idea of, like, enthusiastically showing your tits or, you know, uh, willingly showing your tits for, for money at the lusty lady um, versus, you know, the hypocrisy inherent of the way that we elevate people for standing still in barely any clothes. And we give them millions of dollars, um, and then we turn around to people who are, you know, people who are like standing there lying supine, you know, and, and and like allowing their picture to be taken and allowing people to, you know, create images of them. That's totally great and profitable and famous. But people who are enthusiastically doing that on their own time are judged. I also think that there's a, there's a a very interesting line and it's a kind of a shifty line now about about sexualization and what it means and who who is caught up in it and whether they are are shunned and shamed or whether they become more famous and like like I have just been watching Miley Cyrus with such interest this year I gotta say I don't know that I I mean, I, I'm 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 still a little I'm I'm still a little on the fence about her in certain respects. Yeah, so am I. But I feel like she decided to do some panty 
show-offy shit in a, 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 a space in the world where there's a little more room for that. Clearly some, clearly a program it, it remains there. There's no question about that either. But, right. but some, yeah, do we really get this much attention for that kind of stuff? Well, then let me see what I can work up. Yeah. And that's, um, that's kind of a businessy exhibitionism that I sort of have to respect. I mean, there's a reason... So, the, so, so sexual exhibitionism is like, I'm getting an erotic charge from this, this act. And then there's, I can make this act work for me in a variety of other ways, right? I can seduce with it. I can earn some money with it. I can be a, I can be a big old confident sex worker with it. I can be a top model with it. I can do uh, all these other things. And, and, you know, maybe some of the people who are utilizing the energy of showing off and, and, and being sexy whatever that means in any given context also maybe all of them have some little spark in there it's just like that's just like the pilot light you know maybe it's maybe it's not a hot wet panty hard dick thing maybe that's not what it is but maybe it is and at the very least I think using exhibitionism I mean this is sort of where we started out right using exhibitionism gave me some opportunity to say if I'm not too scared to do that anymore then I'm not too scared to do this anymore either and particularly coming from a shy space plenty of people were never shy to begin with right? right but I think as you said we've all got some kind of societal message that tells us we have to be one way or another we're not okay unless we do it this way or that way mm. we're not really we're not really allowed we're not really allowed to to explore that and and, and that may change according to community social structure it changes according to class that's for sure yeah. whether you're famous and and lots of pieces so I think as they like to say on Facebook it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> I realize that's not what they were talking about when they came up with that but I like it Maybe. because at least almost everybody in the culture has now looked at the phrase it's complicated and hopefully it's sunk in for some of them <laughs> that's I what I like to hope that's so optimistic uh, you know I'm kind of a Pollyanna I, I love that. I love that. Well, well, Pollyanna, we've got we've got a little less than five minutes. So, um, uh, are in conclusion, are there? Um, we, we've talked about some suggestions of, of people who are you know if they're if they're sort of now realizing like oh that's that's why people are you know interested in exhibitionism um, and I, and you know people who are interested in exhibitionists would be called voyeurs right, right like our right. whole audience right here. Say hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, voyeurs. All these lovely voyeurs. Aww. We'd be nothing without you. Thank you. Um, but can you um, can you give uh, just a couple of other suggestions of ways that that people can uh, can can start to explore or even take their exploration to the next level, either solo or um, or with a date or with a partner? So, if you've got a partner or you've got somebody in your world that that you feel pretty pretty frisky with, then then there's the challenge and the opportunity of saying hey is there anything about this kind of fantasy that sounds fun to you there's the do you want to go with me to some place like the lusty lady if there is such a place on the planet and 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 show off with me do you can we go to a swinger party and have sex and have everybody stare at us and applaud or you know the, the various kinds of sexual spaces that exist those places don't have to be a place where you go have random sex with random people that's part of their charm but that you don't have to utilize them that way right. um, and I would say that there's also the the spaces on the internet that make themselves available for even a solo person 
to be a show off. I, you want to research them first, though. I feel like that's yes. the think that through. You've got to research. It isn't just the magic diary. It's also a way of interfacing with other people, and there may be, you know, there may be a permanent record kept. You know, how do you feel about that? You've got to think about even those Vine. things. Even Vine, is even permanent. yeah, even yeah. Vine. So you got to think about those things. But 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 what can you wear to make you yourself feel zhuzhed up erotically? Is that a word? Zhuzhed? No, I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> We've been saying it. I have a friend who says it a lot lately. Zhuzhed so I picked up. it up. It's a great word to say. And <laughs> and is there a way to um, utilize the power of exhibitionism in fantasy so that you can yeah. um, sort of play out scenarios in your mind of things that you might want to try if you ever got the chance? And or things that would be completely preposterous, like being like on stage, you know, like having sex at like the Sydney Opera House or something. That maybe that will happen one day, but you know, it, it's like really, really we out should there. be so lucky, you know. <laughs> but but utilizing exhibitionistic tropes in your fantasies is perfectly safe, and it gives you that. If it gives you that sort of jacked up feeling, then you know. Maybe if I ever get the shot at it, yeah. You know, if 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 the if I'm on the balcony in the hotel and I can tell that the person way over there would have to be looking at me on purpose with binoculars and they can't really tell where I am, well then that would be a place to try the in public like mix the public private thing. But but just remembering the consent of others, yeah, is also watching out for your own safety. Absolutely. I feel like that those two things are linked. Not always, not not non complexly, but those are linked. And so thinking about where is the right place for you to do your exhibitionistic thing is the first fabulous way to start thinking about what would happen. Of course I've also written a whole book on this topic. Yes. So people could look at that for other ideas. And they should. Um, and is there anything that you're uh, that you want to plug that you're uh, that you're doing right now that I haven't mentioned already? Well, I finally I think found somebody who wants to help me make exhibitionism for the shy into a website. And once we manage that, Amazing. there'll be opportunities for people to write in their own suggestions for places and ways to play and stuff like that. And that'll be great. Holy shit! I'll let you know when that when that comes live so that you can you know maybe add it to your your podcast info. And I also. Um, I want to say that I'm I'm slowly but surely working on a new book of essays that are going to include um, pieces on sex positivity and promiscuity and other fun stuff. Oh, fabulous! Thank you so much for being on. Why are people into that? Can everybody give Dr. Carol Queen a round of applause? Thank you so much, and I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. It's Yay. big fun and. And the question of why are people into that stops a lot of people from being as sex positive as they could be, I feel like. So maybe there's going to be some more love in the world. That's my goal. For sexual diversity. Yes. Which makes us all little snowflakes. <laughs> all individual, fabulous, special people. Yay. Thanks, Carol. Okay, you can all go now.
where would exhibitionists like me be without voyeurs like our live audience and listeners like you? You can listen to other episodes on whyarepeopleintothat.com. Subscribe on iTunes and find out what we're up to by following at Into That Podcast and at Tina Horn's Ass. As usual, Why Are People Into That is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Horn. Our theme song is by Pine from Oakland, California, and our website is designed by Justin Levesque of Shop Geometry. We are exclusively underwritten by Smitten Kitten, the progressive sex toy store for everyone, who you can visit at smittenkittenonline.com. Hello, this is Tina Horn, and my guest is the indomitable Katie Diamond. Say hello, Katie. Hello. Say some more. Say, I would talk, like, talk about where you're I from. I really wish that I could have a pony. Uh, I, I, I'm from New York City, where there aren't enough ponies for What do you think I am? Santa Claus? Oh, oh my God. Oh. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.